You're listening to The Cleveland Browniacs, a show where two moderately intelligent guys attempt to make sense of the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browniacs podcast is a part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Elliot Kennel and Joel Cade. Take it, Joel. Hey, welcome back to the Cleveland Browniacs. I almost said what the elf was that because I was talking and doing some what the elf was that earlier. If you don't great show, by the way. You haven't heard what the elf was that, you should listen to my rants. Today I ranted about the Ravens. I'm hoping to continue that rant today. Uh, so Elliot, how you been, man? I've been doing great. I have plenty of time for football and um also doing lots of exciting stuff. I'm um doing some nuclear reactor <laughs> design. <laughs> Uh, interesting combination, but uh, yeah, I'm not having fun. Hey, doing some nuclear reactor design. Maybe you can solve that crap going on in Piqua. Uh, what's going on in Piqua? Well, apparently the old nuclear reactor, you know, Piqua was the, one of the first cities in the United States to have a nuclear reactor as its city's power plant. Okay. And so they've been dismantling this thing. And now the EPA has shut them down from dismantling it. Plus to also find out that the city has a site where they burn batteries, where people will come out and test cell phone batteries and things like that and make them burn up. And the Hmm. EPA shut that down too. So maybe you can come. Maybe I had to apply for a consulting job or something. I I think that would be something worth doing. Uh, Need somebody to detoxify my hometown. Mm, Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, radiation certified. I mean, this thing made national news. I'm surprised that you didn't hear about it, Elliot. Yeah, well, I was watching the elections and stuff, but okay, I will yeah, look into it. Pick was a uh, uh, radioactive. <laughs> it's well, like the it's like the freaking Simpsons over there. I'm all about radiation safety and um, decommissioning, <laughs> you know, nuclear messes. I've got experience in that. Wow. Okay, speaking of nuclear messes. Uh, I think the Cardinals are a nuclear mess. I mean, the Browns took that team <laughs> apart. Well, they did. Well, they any did. thoughts on the game? Well, yeah, I, I do have some thoughts. Uh, we had the post game, and I thought that it, you know it was a really wonderful game from the Browns' standpoint. I did feel, continue to feel that it may be a struggle for an offensive coach to learn how to coach a defensive team. That's my overarching concern uh, as we enter the second half of the season. I think you have to uh, be willing to let the defense stop the other team's offense rather than trying to outscore them at the end of the game and risk interceptions and stuff like that. Yeah, so That's I, what think, I, mean I think right Stefanski has actually done a pretty good job of this. You know, My son and I will sit there and talk about this, and I, I keep it, telling him. It's worked out. It worked out. So I I'm, think they're I'm doing pretty good. When he's down. Kicking him when he's succeeding brilliantly. I so. think he, I think he's doing okay with this. The thing I have an issue with is why they keep giving the ball to Jerome Ford. That guy is like the one man offensive drive killer. Like if you want to lose three yards, give him the football. Period. Hand it off mm-hmm. to him. You're going to lose three yards. Give it to him on first down. You're probably going to lose five yards because he thinks he has some extra time to try to run around a tackle. You know, he plays football mm-hmm. like he's like in the sixth grade or some crap. Like, I'm going to run this to the edge, turn the corner, and run it for a touchdown. Yes. Yeah, he likes to investigate what's going on and then make a decision whether he's going to continue the play or reverse his field. 
and that they need to really cure him of. I he, hope that he's he coachable. is not good. He is not good. I've not, labeled him Isaiah Crowell two, two point He's well, better than the original Isaiah Crowell because Crowell because he can catch the ball and run fast. Isaiah Crowell could only like run moderately fast if there was a designed hole, but Jerome Ford can run very fast only if there's a designed hole. I will point out that the Crow did, I believe, gain over 900 yards one year, and I'll be happy to take that with all okay. of its flaws. Okay, even him falling over every like other play. Mm, yeah, he fell over a lot. Like I, I counted one game, he fell over six times. Like he was just running and he like fell over in the backfield. <laughs> like my well, kids and I, we'd rather have running backs that don't fall down. But yeah, no, I, I understand the problem. My kids and I, and I used to quote that movie, Austin Powers. Oh, I fell over. Oh, I fell over again. You know, if you haven't seen Austin Powers, yes, you won't get well, it. Yeah, I love Austin Powers. I do not want Austin Powers to be the next running back for the Cleveland Browns. Um, I do think that that uh, Ford has some uh, faults that perhaps, you know, he can be teachable. We'll, we'll find out. Let's but... hope either he's teachable or this is why he didn't play at Alabama and had to go to Cincinnati. One of the two. Well, yeah. He was our second string running back. And perhaps there was a reason for that. Well, Nick Chubb was the main reason, but um, <laughs> I didn't like the plan that we were only going to have two running backs at the beginning of the year. I felt that we, needed four like everybody else in the league still continue to feel that way i think even after nick chubb's injury we're up to three now mm -hmm. and um we need to continue to see if we can manufacture another running back somehow you know what i'd like to see happen is maybe uh, kareem hunt pull aside jerome ford and say to him look even if you run into the hole and get two yards that's better than losing three <laughs> trying to get outside because those two are two completely different running backs. Kareem Hunt on his like third or fourth contract, I haven't counted, okay, has the ability to say, okay, I'm not getting anything this play, so I'm just going to run as fast as I can and as hard as I can forward That's and see right. if I can get something. You, know, you never Jerome, see Kareem Hunt be indecisive. That right. is not in his character. Jerome, Jerome Ford is like, okay, I'm not getting anything. Maybe I can run outside. And in the process, you lose four yards. As with Kareem Hunt's gotten you three or four yards, which is That's why right. Kareem Hunt is on his fourth contract and Jerome Ford may not survive the season. So I, I don't know. I'd just like to see like Hunt just sit him down and say, look, you're in professional football. You have to get yards because we can't keep going three and out because you lose five yards on first down which happened like three times in that game against the Cardinals. Yeah, it, it's not necessary to it's do insane. that. It's insane. It's bad football. It, it just really is. It's no. not a good thing. Um, I've been ranting about Jerome Ford for like three weeks. I think this week just kind of came to an apex for me. Well, I've been like, ranting since the offseason, if you recall. Oh, I recall. I was doing just... me for saying, well, you know, we've got – two running backs that's enough for the the season well it's not enough you need to have three or four in order to have a good running back room we mm -hmm. didn't have enough and now we're paying for it 
Well, I was just ready to give him a chance. Like, okay, we've only seen him run the ball like five or okay. six times. Let's see what happens. Now we've seen what happens. We know he's garbage, and we need to do something else. Like, okay. We're going to elevate, elevate I'm going to toss strong. my cookies in a minute. All right, all right. Let's just move on. So, uh, Harry, you want to talk about some Browns formations. What you got for us, Elliot? Well, I've got a, a bunch of stuff. Um, uh, you know, I've got some of the usual diagrams and some unusual diagrams. Uh, let me present PowerPoint. Is this the one you emailed right. me? Because I got it. I can pull it up. I got it. All right. Cool. Elliot becoming the master of his domain. Yeah, except, you know, the last time I did this on my show, I screwed it up. And I thought I was presenting. And it was kind of funny. You can see me looking like I'm not being seen, but I was. But, okay, here we go. And then. Um, yeah, that's the PowerPoint I got up. I could have just shared that. So while Elliot's getting his PowerPoint up, I do want to say that it. I, I read this. Okay. Like you seeing it right? All right. I think you got it up now. We're ready to go. Okay. Let's go. This all is the right. Ravens offense showing up with the Browns defense off. Okay. It. And for those who have only audio, once again, they're color coded the same way or similar way that pro football focus does where blue means that they're very, very good kind of at the all pro level or close to it. Uh, green means that they're above average. Yellow means average. And then orange means below average and red means that they're, you know, just barely hanging on to a starting job. Okay. What do we show here? We've got um, Cleveland Browns have a very good front four. Everybody's doing a really great job. Um, Baltimore has a pretty good offensive line. They really do, especially on the right side. Yeah, if you, especially if they want to run to the right. And that, that Ronnie Stanley and John Simpson over there on the left in orange probably isn't helping them. Yeah, yeah. Ronnie Stanley was a uh, Pro Bowl tackle, but he's never been the same since he injured his ankle, uh, frankly. That hurts me as a Notre Dame alum. Yeah, well, okay, but okay, all right. They also have uh, uh, great success with Zay Flowers, their number one draft pick. He's yeah, been, that, that guy has been pretty good. Pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, last time we gave this in game one be, with the Ravens, we were saying that Mark Andrews uh, was not quite the same as he was the previous years. That is no longer true. I, I think he was kind of banged up, but now he's back to being his all-pro self. Well, it also helps that they decided to abandon this Todd Monken passing offense and just go back to running the football and throwing the ball to the tight end mm -hmm. and, and your slot receiver, which is why Rashad Bateman and OBJ are in orange and Zay Flowers is in green and Mark Andrews is in blue. That's true. Although I will say even this uh, for Odell Beckham Jr. that um, he's done well recently. Um we didn't, I didn't think it was worth, well, I still don't think he's worth $13 million, but uh, he hasn't been um, uh, terrible. He's been passable as a wide receiver. Rashad Bateman, I believe, also was a number one draft pick. So they keep on investing in uh, wide receiver talent with the intention, I think, in the front office to make Lamar Jackson a pocket passer, but at the coaching staff level, they think, nah, we want to have two tight ends and run the ball all the time. And they do. They have uh, a uh, 
you know, they often use a fullback as well as uh, halfback Gus Edwards, who's about, I don't know, 50 years old, but still very, very good. Elliot, let me let me stop there and ask you a philosophical question. Yes. Okay. Do you think this is Harbaugh and I don't know what his name is, the bald dude? Do, do you think they're on different pages or do you think? Yes. See, I don't, I don't see it that way. I see it as Harbaugh gave this an opportunity to try to throw the ball downfield. And it worked against, you know, Texans, maybe a couple other teams. But then, like, they realized that they can't throw the ball downfield, so they just started running the ball again. They just no, reverted I, I, back I, to what worked. I Well, I, I think to some extent it's like that. But every year for, the, like, the past three years in a row – uh, general manager Eric DaCosta in oh, the offseason has invested in wide receivers and kind of uh, disinvested in uh, big offensive linemen, tight ends, and running backs. Has not emphasized that as much. And the intention looks pretty clear to me that he wants Lamar Jackson to transition into a pocket passer type. And then at the coaching staff level, John Harbaugh says, nah, come on, Lamar Jackson. Okay, so, so that's what I'm asking. Back. Let, let, let's ask the question philosophers ask. Let's ask why. Why would Harbaugh decide after seemingly having to be on the same page to get this kind of personnel, why would he come back after three games and say, let's just go back to what we always done? Because that's what works. And Lamar is, Jackson is it has great the, confidence in Lamar Jackson and his ability to pass on the run and to uh, generate offense by forcing uh, the defenses to play in an eight-man front. And uh, Lamar Jackson can kill when they do that. Okay, I'm going to agree with you. But uh, to say this is what works implies that what Todd Monken brought to the situation is not working. Um, Yeah, I would say that. I think also... Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think okay, that's so I want, to, I want to talk about this article I read today. It was just absolutely insane. Um, said the five reasons why Todd Monken was excelling. You know, reason number one is that the Ravens have, have the second most explosive plays in the NFL, their offense. Of course, they're counting explosive plays as runs of 10 yards or passes of 20 yards. And if you look at the actual numbers, they're second in runs of 10 yards and like, 14th in the passing criteria and the reason they're so high is because the teams that have played eight games as opposed to seven games all have more you know more plays to have explosive plays so basically they're the upper third of the teams who have played eight games now 13th on that list was the first team who to have played seven games in this season? Do you want to guess what that team was? Um, Baltimore. No, the, the Baltimore's played eight games. The team who's only played seven games and has the most explosive plays of teams who've played seven games is your Cleveland Browns. Oh my gosh! So, so to say that them. like the offense is doing great because you can numerically count is is ridiculous. He also attributed great things to him like. Todd Monken figured out how to spread out wide receivers and run the football. Todd Monken figured out how to like use the tight end slash fullback. Uh, what's his name? Patrick 
Ricard. Ricard is the guy. Yeah. Ricard as a tight end, a fullback, a halfback, uh, a wing. Like nobody in the NFL has ever done this before. And this whole oh article gosh. explains how Todd Mocking is such a genius for doing all this stuff when all they're describing is the offense they ran last year. <laughs> and they've, so they've, they've had uh, uh, Ricard for like, I don't know, six years probably. And they've always used him that way. It's not like always. Todd Mocking created this crap. Like, I, I'm still going to sit here and tell you that they abandoned the air raid a long time ago. And they're just running the same stuff yeah. they've always ran. No, I agree with that. And and I would say that that's Harbaugh's doing is saying, you know what? Um, the, um, you know, wide open, wide receiver based offense is nice. But I think our meat and potatoes is still um, the run first, even though Gus Edwards is our second string halfback. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, you can, J.K. You can, Dobbins is injured and didn't play. I don't think he played it down this season because of a knee injury. Right. But you can do that um, when you have a quarterback that can run like Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. right. If, it, if Deshaun been, Watson could run like that, we the Browns could run that offense. Well, right? it is a very similar philosophy. It is. And in fact, I was going to talk about that on the next slide. Shall I move there? Go ahead. Go to the next slide since we're or or do we want to take a break for a commercial? Oh, let's do our commercial break. Then we'll let's come back to Elliot's exciting slide. Oh, this is so exciting. On, on the on the other side, it. we'll be talking about the next interesting topic. Not break just... on through to the other side. Yeah. All right. All right. Give us a few here. Hang on. All right, and we're back. Back going over Elliott's slides, talking about right. the Ravens and the Browns matchup. So this time we've got the Browns offense on the bottom of the slide mm-hmm. and the Ravens on top. And the Ravens are the number one uh, ranked defense in the NFL. And I think the Browns are number two. Um, so they're very, very similar. Uh, tremendous teams or units, I should say, both. Uh, I will point out some of the real studs on defense. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, one of the top-ranked uh, strong safeties. He's now seeing out as a Notre Dame guy. You know, I got to applaud that one. Although okay. I don't like him now that he plays for Baltimore. And his job is to neutralize David Njoku, plus uh, you know five other t- tight ends that the Browns will throw at him. Um, they also are getting mileage out of Jadevian Clowney, who looked like he was absolutely spent last season for the Cleveland Browns. I think what they've done is they've reduced his workload and they found out that if you don't work him as hard, that he's got some uh, gas left in the tank. Only Um, if you play him on third down so he can rush the passer. Yeah, exactly. So Um, Michael Pierce, their nose tackles were really tough guy. He's, um, you know, very hard to move. Roquan Smith, linebacker, um, you know, very close to all pro. If he doesn't make it, he'll be very close. And Odafe Owe, we didn't see him in the first game, but he will be available in this game, and he's been lights out. So they've got some real stars on defense, and uh, they don't really have any weak spots. Um, you know, they're they're really well. Maybe I think Marcus Williams is rated a little bit below average, but they're really. Uh, I'll tell you a weak spot. And that's Marlon Humphrey. Marlon okay. Humphrey is garbage. 
All he right. Is, he is the most overrated garbage I've ever seen. Like the guy, the guy has one move, and that's grab and hold. That is it. He gets beat on man yeah. constantly, and he grabs. Then when he's called, he like argues with the ref for ten minutes. Basically, the idea is if I argue with this guy after every single call, he'll just stop calling it, which is I think is the entire philosophy of the Ravens team. Right. If we just argue all the time, refs will stop calling stuff mm-hmm. so that we don't have to be argued with. You know, and I think one of the great things about the Bravens defensive line is that they are the masters of defensive holding. So I'm hoping that the referees will pay attention to defensive holding on the on the defensive line because that's how people like Owe and Rokon Smith and Patrick Queen get to run free, is because these guys up front are just grabbing offensive linemen and holding them. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that is kind of the way that they teach their, especially their defensive backs. Yeah, it just goes back to that philosophy of let's just go out there and do everything illegal. I mean, this is the brother of the guy from Michigan. Let's go out there and do everything illegal. And then when they complain about it, let's just deny it, argue, mm-hmm. scream, yell. And if we just do that long enough, people will just ignore that it it's actually a problem. Like, what a childhood for those two brothers. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let me turn to the Browns offense. Um, this is not actually the base offense, but I wanted to show that the Browns are using a fullback in about one quarter of the plays. Oh my That's God. Where... Did Todd Monken teach them that? Oh, probably did. He's so um, brilliant. Yeah. Nick Harris is the fullback. We actually had a fullback last year also. Um, that was uh the uh, guy that he's on the Michael Dunn is on the disabled list right now. Mm-hmm. Um, or I should say the injured reserve. Um, but he d- had this role last season. Um, and um, people list Nick Harris as a center, but he's playing fullback and he's playing tight end. And uh, he's blocking for Jerome Ford. Oftentimes Nick Harris will, uh, follow either Joel Batonio or Wyatt Teller, open up a hole in the defensive line and let Jerome Ford either go through that hole or else uh, dance around and consider going reversing his field and doing some other kind of thing. But anyway, Usually that includes I'm going to run around my perfectly tremendous yeah, block that's right. so that the guy on the that's actually being blocked can either A, get a holding penalty, or B, um, tackle me for a three-yard loss. Okay, now we do have a problem here on left tackle. James Hudson is going to go in um, for uh, Jedrick Wills, and uh, that's probably not a good thing. Jedrick, you know, I think Jedrick was probably playing hurt in the beginning of the season, didn't really announce it to the world. But he's really gotten better as the season has gone on, and unfortunately Mm -hmm. he came up with a knee injury and will miss at least four games, I think. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that it's just the four games and whatever is going on, he can get it all healed up. Mm, Do we yes. have anything on that injury? Or is it like a rotator cuff injury? Um, yeah, no, it was like, I think it was, um, don't quote me on this, but I, it was not an ACL. It was like an MCL or something like that, but it was a strain. It was not a, you know, um, n- nothing was uh, completely torn. Well, and let's just hope that he can come back because I thought he was having a pretty good season. He, he, he was, was getting better. Agree. Coming on. Agree. Um, uh, you know. So there Elijah, was there was talk there was talk of moving Dewan Jones over to left tackle and starting James the Hudson Hornet over there on right tackle. 
I would support that if Dewan Jones is comfortable playing left tackle. Well, there is some possibility that they might do that. I was go going to point out, actually, with this slide, that a lot of times the Browns play a three tight end formation. And, uh, you know, the, a lot of times the sports uh, articles are sort of ignorant about that, if you'll pardon me. No. -uh. What they do in this case is they move uh, Nick Harris. Uh, from the fullback position and he goes out and he plays sort of like a, a flanker type um tight end they call that a wing they call that a wing yeah you can call it a wing mm -hmm. um, but he's sort of you or know, an sort h back of they call it an h yeah, well h back is sort of like back here but he sort of edges up and the officials let us get away with that and he's really that's, kind of like an extra lineman that's a and wing then they have another pass catching tight end like uh, Jordan Akins so that they have, okay, two big men over here. And then the Joku uh, splits wide a little bit. And so they really have three tight ends, you know, and the Joku really becomes a wide receiver. And uh, then they can run forward behind those guys. Uh, and that's one of the ways that they get four yards every play is they get this, you know, this Big, how how much does Dewan Jones actually weigh? He's like three seventy or something. Three seventy is what I heard. You're yeah. saying we, we actually gain yardage on that play with Jerome Ford? Yeah, that, that's uh, how see, I get... think that's the I think that's the play he's always trying to bust out to the right. Well, yeah, that's an option, but yeah, they're they're blowing people off the line with that, and uh, you know the the defense has to commit. They can't be wishy washy. They're either going to have to play an extra body against these tight ends, or they're going to double cover Amari Cooper. But they they got to pick one side or the other. Uh, Amari Cooper, by the way, is really the only wide receiver on the team that gets any kind of attention and that delivers any kind of yards. So does, have, you, have you put in – because I heard your podcast, heard this part of the podcast. Have you put in Joku into that equation? Um. Well, Njoku is is a tight end. Okay, but um, I understand we're saying that, right? I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Okay. Yeah, I don't know that Njoku is covered by a cornerback that often. I think he's strong safety or linebacker. Here, here's um, what I'll say about David Njoku. Teams are afraid of David Njoku. Okay, they they yes. take care of him. So. You could say, okay, the second wide receiver is Cedric Tillman or it's Elijah Moore, and there were a lot of injuries to wide receivers that game that could have, like, skewed numbers, right? So, mm -hmm. but what I will tell you is I think the second option is really David Njoku. Oh, he's yeah. The, he's the one that really is the second option behind Mari Cooper. Yeah, I mean, there's no the question. That, he, he's the one the team's game plan for. He's the one the team's yes. after. He's not getting the ball without two people around him. Right. Okay. He is the other guy that they, they really worry about. And I've yeah. seen teams mm -hmm. double Najoku and let Amari Cooper just run. You know, that's how bad it's been for an for Najoku. Like this is why he doesn't get yes. any catches is because he is draped. Teams yeah. fear well, yeah, my, my point though, yeah, my point though is that this formation forces the defense to commit resources to either stop these big guys from running. Mm -hmm. uh, or double cover uh, Cooper. They have to pick one or the other, and it's going to. They have to choose what kind of personnel they're going to use. Are they going to use an extra cornerback, 
or are they going to insert an additional strong safety or an additional linebacker? Are they going to play three linebackers? And uh, so depending on what they choose, then that helps the Browns to decide to perhaps go the other way. And uh, so I, th- I think it could be a formation that they use a lot against Baltimore. Yeah, and I'll say that about the formation. That formation only works or puts that bind on the defense if the ball actually gets thrown to a tight end. If, if they don't throw a ball to a tight end, if they just put them all out there as blockers, that's pointless. You have to throw to your tight ends mm-hmm. out of that formation. Yeah, you have a lot of things that you can do with that, and especially if you're – one of your tight ends is David Njoku. That's actually right. a pretty powerful formation. So, mm-hmm. yes. Provided, not, and this used to be the question years ago, but it's gotten solved. I'll say provided Njoku blocks. He used to not block, but now he's a machine. So Yeah, now he does you know. block, and he mm-hmm. still has that reputation because, uh, uh, you know, he was criticized back in – uh, 2017 and 2018 for not being a good blocker, but he and really he wasn't. improved. And yeah, he was not, but he really mm-hmm. improved a lot. And people tend to criticize Njoku for whatever screwy reason, uh, but it, it's totally ridiculous. He's one of the most reliable receivers uh, on the Cleveland Browns and in the NFL, uh, for that matter, among tight ends. So I, I think right. Well, I'm, I guess I was going to say is I'm praising Njoku. Okay, because he's added blocking to his repertoire, that makes him a much more dangerous receiver. Okay, so if he never blocked, which he used to never do, he would never get open, which he never did. And now that he blocks, and I'm going to credit Kevin Stefanski for this because Stefanski figured out a way to get him to block. You know, him getting called out by general managers and coaches that that crap never worked. But Stefanski got him to block because Stefanski convinced him of the truth that I am telling you. If you block, you will get open. If you don't block, you will not get open. That's the life of tight ends. And Njoku has embraced the blocking, and now he gets open. Now the defense is forced to, to deal with him, mm-hmm. which which now opens up the run game because if he were to release a block and go out, they can't just run in and take a tackle. They've got to follow him out there to make sure he's not getting the ball. So he's really elevated the whole offense in a way that if you don't look at this schematically, you would never see it happening. But Najoku really is a massive key to the success of this offense. Yes, that's absolutely true. And uh, people, for whatever reason, also complain about his salary, which is like half as much as Mark Andrews. So I think it's totally, totally unfair, unwarranted. He's a very, very good tight end. And his pay is uh, commensurate with his performance. So, I don't know. Uh, all right. So, let me just mention a few things here. Is that the Ravens, you have to give the devil his due. They they are better at scouting than we are. They draft better than we are. Um, we've talked about DaCosta being determined to transition to a pocket pass, more of a pocket passing team uh, with... Um, Lamar, uh, but we think I think that he's not on the same page with the head coach John Harbaugh, and uh, they keep on going back to the run first approach after you know they try a couple uh, games with. Uh, pocket yeah, I still passing. think you got to ask why. Why is Harbaugh refusing to go to a pocket passing offense? And once you start asking that question a few times, I think you'll figure he out why. 
All right. Now, Joel, I think you'll disagree with me on the third point. Now, I felt that Todd Monken did a really good job in the first encounter. I think that he had plays that would diffuse the Cleveland pass rush. You know, namely, he let them come rushing in, and then he uh, sent the running back uh, to run around them. And uh, he gained all kinds of yards on the ground because the Browns were too eager to run after Lamar Jackson, and they kind of forgot about the running backs. They really, they really did pretty well. Yeah, my dog Archer's got a problem with that. No, yeah, okay. I, I, I will, Ooh, I will agree. The dogs but... out. <laughs> there he goes on cue. I, I, I'll, I want to talk to this point here. I'm not saying that Todd Monken's a terrible offensive coordinator because he's not. What the Ravens did in the last game against the Browns was to use the Browns' defensive aggressiveness against them, which is what you're trying to basically say here. Yes. Right? So the yes. defense would read their keys and run to the spots, and they would run what's called key busters. So they'll give you the whole indication the ball's going left, then they would run it right. Okay? Those are yes. extremely dangerous plays. And those plays are only designed to be run once or twice a game just to keep a defense honest. Now, their offense the entire game was only those plays. Those were the only plays that were successful. When they lined up, ran a play, the keys indicated the ball was going in a certain spot, the Browns rallied to the ball and made the play. That's the run game I'm talking about right there. Yeah. Now, the passing game, um, the passing game is a little bit more interesting because the Bengals played the Ravens and I watched that game and the Bengals tried this, the sack happy approach that you're talking about where they run in, they try to, excuse me, the Bengals attempted to play contain where they wouldn't rush. They would just hold contain lanes and force Lamar Jackson to throw the football. The problem with the Bengals is their secondary pretty much all play for other teams this year that they played than mm -hmm. they had last year. So early in the season, they weren't all on the same page and I mean, if you're going to let Lamar Jackson stand back there and throw the ball, Mark Andrews is going to get open. Okay. Zay Flowers is going to get open because they're good players. You have to rush Lamar Jackson. So I think the Browns were on the right page in terms of you have to rush. The difference is, is you have to control rush. You can't go in out of control. And I think Miles Garrett made an interesting statement either this week or the week before um, that he's not playing as illogically or he's playing more logically football and i will say that he made a play against the cardinals that i looked at my son and i was like you know what that's the evolution of miles garrett right there and he came in the the uh tackle showed pass he got around him pretty quick and instead of just bum rushing the quarterback miles garrett something went off in his head and said that was too easy stepped back let the guy let tune throw the ball and he just batted it out of the air like, that's the evolution of Miles Garrett. It's not the, I'm a freak athlete and I'm just going to, like, run over people because mm -hmm. he can do that. <clears throat> now he's starting to use his brain. Now he's starting to understand what football is about, what teams are attempting to do to him, and what he needs to do to counter them. And I've been waiting for Miles Garrett to get to that point because Greg Williams couldn't get to, to him, Joe Woods couldn't get through to him, and Miles Garrett really came off looking like a me player for a long time. Mm -hmm. But this year, he he looks like a completely different player in a lot of ways. He's saying the right things. He's doing the right things. He's developing the techniques. He's got that aha moment like, oh, wait a minute. They're just baiting me. I'm going to sit back here and just knock this out of the air. That's the way you have to play against Lamar Jackson. You have to rush him because you can't let him get comfortable. 
Okay. But yeah. you have to group rush him in a way that where if somebody's going wide, the other defensive tackle is there to pick up the garbage. Kind of like how the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers run. They'll run a blitz opposite TJ Watt. Okay. The whole point of the blitz is to force the quarterback to roll towards TJ Watt so he can get a cheap sack. <laughs> He's the garbage collector, right? That's what the yeah. scheme is. The scheme is there to bl- to flush everything to TJ Watt so he can pick up the cheap sacks. That's how they operate, okay? The Browns right. need to operate in a way in which that when you pressure Lamar Jackson, he's not getting out. You can't just sit yeah. there. You have to be disciplined in your rush. I mean, and yes, it looks like the Browns can do that now as opposed to last year they didn't. And in the first game... I think they're still trying to figure that out. Yes. Yes. Discipline, integrity in their pass rush. And and the way um, you can tell that's working, I'm going on this little rant. The way you can tell that working is the fact that um, Shelby Harris had, what, three sacks last game? Um, I don't I remember the number, but he was, yeah, nine, he was. 94. Nine, pretty, number 94. Shelby far Harris. Out. I mean, the, the reason he has three sacks is because Miles Garrett is coming off the edge or Zadarius Smith is coming off the edge, forcing that quarterback up, which is what they're trying to do, the quarterback, and then the tackles are mm. making the tackle. So you can tell when you have good defensive end play, your defensive tackles, tackles will get sacks. Ta- will yeah. get sacks, and that's what you're going to need in this game. You need somebody to pressure him from the outside, and then when he steps up, he can't escape out. You have to have defensive tackles that will tackle him when he steps up. The Bengals couldn't do it. They couldn't do it the last game. They need it to happen this game. Yeah. Okay. Excellent, excellent analysis. Um, are we ready to talk about receivers and stuff? Oh, why not? All right. Well, yeah, I was going to say that the the um, Ravens have been adding uh, first-round picks, high draft picks to the receiver core for the past, like, three years in a row. They this year they got Nelson Aguilar, who's had a pretty good season, although not used uh, on every down. Odell Beckham Jr. has been okay. He too is not used on every down. Mark Andrews was not really having a good season uh, initially, but is back to his nasty self now. Um, here's some numbers that you can take a look at. This is what I showed up for a game, the first game. Uh, Zay Flowers was playing out of his mind. People weren't paying attention to him. And mm-hmm. he was just getting um, lots and lots of targets. I uh, think people were erroneously paying attention to Odell Beckham Jr. That's right. That's exactly right. And um, uh, snaps per target, a number of like seven is what a superstar gets. Seven snaps uh, per target. It's a low number. And they were going to him all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh Mark uh, Andrews was getting a lot of uh, atten- uh, uh, targets also. In other words, he was getting people. nine nine targets, nine snaps. Yeah, per so that's target. a lot. But he wasn't mm-hmm. getting that much yards. Right. You know, one is a pretty good number for a receiver. Well, I'll say that because the air raid offense as a whole is a wide receiver style offense, not a tight end mm-hmm. offense. So your tight ends are blockers and dump offs. Yeah. That's what they, that's what they function mm-hmm. as. In yeah. an air raid offense, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, Ag- Aguilar was doing pretty good. Uh, Rashad Bateman, not so good. Not getting that much uh, 
attention from uh, Lamar, not gaining that many yards. And Odell is down on the bottom. He was getting this doesn't show up very well, but it was 14 snaps per target uh, and only 0 0.67 uh, yards from scrimmage per snap. That's a low number. And so I was saying, well, all right, Odell hasn't made that great of an impression on Lamar Jackson so far. He's not being targeted very frequently, and he's not making that many yards. So he's not performing well when he does get the chance. Uh, let's look at what's going on now. Uh, this season, you know, this week, as of this week, Zay Flowers is still doing pretty good. Um, he's, you know, not quite as frequently as he was at the beginning of the season. And now he's and, getting 8.25 yeah. snaps per target. Yeah, and then he's getting close to one yard uh total yards from scrimmage per snap. That's still a very good number. Mark Andrews, however, is totally insane for a tight end. Mm -hmm. 7.65 snaps per target. That's a very low number for a wide receiver, never mind a tight end. Yeah, I think um, this is where they change their offensive philosophy. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Watch out for Mark Andrews. That guy yep. is the real focal point of the passing offense. It's not the yep. wide receivers. It is the tight end. Mark Andrews, that guy is mm -hmm. a true SOB. Um, Aguilar, not targeted very often, uh, not making that many yards, although he is still, you know, a long-distance threat, home run guy. Uh, Rashad Bateman, kind of in the same situation. And uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is, uh, he's targeted rather frequently. He's got a lot of targets now after mm -hmm. a slow start. He's getting targeted a lot. And he's, you know, getting kind of a respectable uh, total yards from scrimmage per snap. So that that kind of surprises me. He's gotten better, in other words, uh, since the first well, time. Well, I, I think uh, once you start paying attention to the real people in the offense, Mark Andrews, Zay Flowers, because they're closer. Though, yes. If you think of the traditional Ravens offense, who they throw in the ball to and where. Yes. They're yes, throwing yes. it to tight ends over the middle. Where do Zay Flowers and Mark Andrews get the ball? Pretty much over the middle, except Zay Flowers will get it behind the line of scrimmage and wide receiver screens. That's, That's the true. offense. That's mm -hmm. the offense. So when you start defending that, someone like Odell, who who has been good for a reason, okay, he can beat somebody of lesser mm -hmm. grade corners, right? Yes. He yeah, he's beat, not he, the focal point. Right. Of the he offense. can beat a lesser grade true. corner, okay, and he can make himself some yards. But it's it's basically because he's the third option. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I wouldn't have spent $13 million on him, but he's serviceable. And you could argue that being a veteran, um, he's a good influence on the wide receiver room. I'm sure that he is a good teammate and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, let's that's see. like paying Donovan Peoples-Jones $13 million. That's, that's uh, what we're talking about. Something like that. It, that's not a bad analogy, actually. Oh, let's happy birthday, Odell. It's his birthday. November 5th was his birthday. Guess who came to his birthday party? Do you want to guess, Joel? Uh, I'm, I don't really care, but looks like your screen says it's Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian came to his birthday party. Um, yeah, Probably a, an attempt to stay relevant. With another um, guy who's working very hard to in an, in an attempt to stay relevant. Yeah, I think Kim Kardashian is also like the third option, um, uh, <laughs> you know, in Hollywood. But uh, you know, there's a 
there's a legend out there that Kim Kardashian is bad luck. You know, she always goes out with uh, guys who are in the uh, sports community. And the legend is, is that whenever she goes to the game, that uh, her boyfriend's team uh, always loses. So well, let's, let's hope for that. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't really watch the Kardashians or I don't even know who they really are. I've heard stories and whatever, but this picture of this girl looks like she's had like 15 plastic surgeries. Those lips don't look natural. Those eyes look all messed up. There's had to be at least in one nose job and there are other jobs that I'm not mentioning on the mm. air, but it's clear that that's what's going on there too. So, I mean, is this a real person or if like, if you dipped her in like lava, all the plastic surgery is going to fall off. Well, uh, I don't want to criticize her appearance, but I, I do think that plastic surgery is uh, normal for Hollywood people. And, okay, um, I'll just leave it at that then. I'm not criticizing. Just yeah. tell me it's normal for people who make themselves out to Hollywood. Fine. Fine. She looks yeah. like she lives in Hollywood. She does live in Hollywood. Um, yep. There you go. She looks like she my, lives in my Hollywood. My daughter and my wife like to watch the Kardashians reality show, so I, I do sit with them and watch sometimes and... She's a, actually a very good business person. Oh, I'm um, sure she is. But she may have a curse uh, when it comes to sporting events. So I hope that that's true. Anyway, that's what I've got. Um, I think we pretty much covered the waterfront on uh, the uh, Ravens versus Browns. Um, I, I, you know, I think if we compare the teams, the defenses are very, very highly ranked, both of them. Um, but on offense, you know, they've, I would rank Lamar Jackson is better than uh, Deshaun Watson. I think they've got better wide receivers than we do. Although I think Amari Cooper is sensational. He's yeah. done everything, uh, even though he gets absolutely the uh, greatest attention from the defense, uh, always gets at least double coverage or their best cornerback. Mm -hmm. um, but they've also got Baltimore has better uh, running backs, and um, they, I well, think they have an advantage on offense. You're not getting an argument with me. They put Jerome Ford back there. We're screwed. So, I mean, <laughs> well, who else do they have? Actually, you, you just got to put Pierre Strong back there and, and Kareem Hunt, and just rotate those two. Well, and yeah, Kareem Hunt. You know, Kareem Hunt has actually looked better this year than last. Oh, year absolutely. He was a year older. Uh, I'm really surprised by that. Very pleasantly surprised. Um, but yeah, no, he looks younger. I think they say he's lost um, a few pounds and that's helped him uh, in his old age, I guess. But he, he does look um, better. Last year was not a good year for him. And uh, this year he looks a little quicker. Yeah. I don't know. I'll tell you, my, my analysis here is this. This is going to be a dogfight. And, and, uh, it really comes down to which offense can score on the opposing defense. And what that really means is which offense can move the ball. Both right now teams are, are really like mirror images. They play very good mm -hmm. defense and their offense is about ball control. So if you can control the line of scrimmage, you can keep getting first <laughs> downs. You can stay on the field. That's the team that's going to win. <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think this is, um, going to be two strong defenses. Uh, I think that there are going to be turnovers and uh, the Browns have a puncher's chance because they do have a premier defense. 
Uh, I'm not opposed to winning ugly. Um, I think that um, this might be a case when the Browns may uh, need to take more chances than they would against a team like Arizona. So you see the Browns as the underdog? Oh, definitely. Yeah, the okay. uh, Las Vegas has them by, I think, about six points. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it that way. I think the Ravens have played a lot of weak teams. Uh, yeah, well, look the, at Seattle, though. You know, Seattle played us uh, even up, and they absolutely creamed Seattle when they played. Well, the, Seattle played us even up while we have P.J. Walker out there turning the ball over. Okay. Well, just, okay. Just, I mean, when, well you, when, you're, when you're giving Seattle the ball inside your own territory, you put your defense in a real bind. And then you keep them on the field when you don't move the ball. I mean, if you have an offense that moves the ball and keeps their offense off the field, I think that's a completely different game. I think it's a different team with Deshaun Watson when he is ready to go. Yeah, okay, I'll grant you. That's that's probably worth um, three, four points, something like that, at least. And I think the Ravens, part of their defense is the fact that they played C.J. Stroud, they played DTR, they played Anthony Richardson. I mean, that's three rookies for three of their wins. I mean, actually, they lost that game to the Colts because Garner Minshew came in and terror, tore them up. And I don't know if you could say too much about it because the Browns barely survived that team too. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I just – I'm not real impressed with the Ravens. I think they're impressive on paper. But when you look at what's behind the paper, I still see a team that needs to prove itself. Well, we'll find out on Sunday. I I think it will be a a big fight. I think it will be game one by defense. I expect that uh, the offenses will not be uh, the the, uh, focal point. I think the defenses will dominate on both teams. Yeah, it just comes down to which offense can move the ball. That, that's what it'll come down just to. Just don't go backwards. Yeah, just make don't get the ball make, to Jerome Ford. We're, make, we'll be 10 okay. yards, make 10 yards, get a first down and punt, and that's not a bad play. Eventually, you'll get close enough to kick a field goal, and I'm happy with that. I mean, I think Jerome Ford's going to be the key. If he starts running backwards, trying to get an edge, we're screwed. If he decides to do something he's never done in his career, which is like run forward, uh, there might actually be some some chances here. Yeah, no, I agree. Let's let's move forward. Uh, I would, I don't know why they don't play Pierre Strong. I had some of these stats that I was looking at, and similar to the ones I don't know. I, I think they should on. just. I think they should just. I mean, we're at fifty minutes here, but I think we should put Pierre Strong as the running back two. Nick Chubb is running back one. You can bring in Jerome Ford on third downs to be a receiver. So that, unfortunately, is our time, and we will talk to you next week and find out how this all came out. But uh, I'm a little bit more optimistic, I think, than Elliot is right now. So, all right, we'll see you next time. All Thank right. For listening Shout to out to my fellow veterans. Please like and follow us on Spotify and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Go Browns! <laughs>